We're going to take a break from the book of John for a week. I'm going to be preaching on Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. And then next week we'll come back to John on Mother's Day, just in time to hit a passage that talks about what it means to be a mother and to bear children and, uh, and the joy that that is. But this morning, like I said, Acts chapter 11, we're going to be reading verses 19 through 26. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left, Tarsus, left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, the timing here is not completely certain. Um, in the book of Acts, it's a narrative, it's a, it's a telling of the story of the building of Christ's church. But it's, it appears that the author is backing up just a little bit and telling a different part of the story here as he, as he enters into chapter 11. Um, or into verse 19. And uh, so he's told sort of two different paths of what was going on prior to this point. You've got Saul, also to be known as Paul, being a, a big center point of the, the book of Acts. Um, but you also have the church in Jerusalem, and then later... Paul and his work and the church in Jerusalem and the rest of the apostles, their work comes back together later on in the book. And so he sort of, the author sort of keeps track of both of those things at once throughout the book. <clears throat> and so here we start off, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. So the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen was in Jerusalem or centered around Jerusalem. Because Stephen, you remember, was the first martyr. He was killed for proclaiming the gospel, for declaring the truth to the Jews in Jerusalem. And he was 
a man of great faith. That happens back in chapter 7, I think it is. Um, And so obviously there's this persecution that comes along with that. He's not just killed and that's the end of it. He's killed and that starts the, the rest of the people who are not Christians in Jerusalem, particularly the Jews. It starts them down a path of boldness in opposition to the gospel. It's like the dam has burst, right? Once they've gone ahead and killed somebody, anything else that they would do would be minor compared to that. And so they begin to attack the Christians in various ways. It's, it's persecution, so it doesn't go into exactly what the details of that persecution are right here, but we know what persecution is, right? We know that it's not pleasant. We know that it's not right. We know that it comes to all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, right? And so, one of the questions that we face sometimes is, well, what should we do when persecution comes, right? And there's two basic, there's two basic options. The one option is what? What's that? Shut up and don't say anything, which, which could be called hiding, right? Or hunkering down. And then the other option is what? Well, maybe there's three options. <laughs> Preach and die is, the, is another option. And then the other one is run away, right? So you see, you see these things being pursued um, by... In different, in different degrees by people who are facing persecution at different times throughout church history, right? Sometimes you see the people, the Christians, leaving their burned-out homes and hiding in the woods or in caves, right? Other times you see them put what they have left of their belongings on their back and start hiking to get away. Right? And yet, and yet, throughout, regardless of whether you decide that you're going to stay or whether you're going to go, there are those who are called to continue to be bold in the proclamation of the word, right? One of the early church martyrs when he was a, a little boy, he, he, lived, he lived much longer, but when he was a little boy and he saw the persecution, he saw Christians being dragged away to be executed, he was so committed to standing with God's people, and his mom knew him well enough, she thought that he was just going to go out and just join them. Even though he wasn't being taken away, he was just going to go with them and be taken away. So she hid his clothes so that he wouldn't do that. 
Not everybody is called to stay. Not everyone is called to go. Not everybody is called to be the voice of boldness in this time. Okay, But what we see here in this passage is that everybody is called what? To remain true to the Lord. Everybody is called to remain true to the Lord. Now, when I say not everybody is called to be the bold voice, okay, that, that, may, that may set your teeth on edge. That may make you think, like, I'm giving you an excuse to be able to be silent, right? Some of you, at least. Some of you are like, oh, do <laughs> no, no, I'm very grateful for you to say that. <laughs> I was looking for any kind of excuse to be able to be quiet, right? Well, this passage doesn't go into that whole question in real great detail, okay? But <clears throat> what, I want, what I want to make clear to you is that leaving is not staying and being the bold voice of proclamation of the gospel where persecution is happening, is it? We can, at least, we can at least agree that leaving is not that. So if leaving is ever an option, a faithful option, for some people, that are, some people are called to do that, then that means that there is a difference of calling in, in, in types of work that people are called to, especially in times of intense persecution, right? And in our passage, what we see is that there was a scattering that occurred because of the persecution, which means that there were a lot of people who left. Now, let's, let's, let's dive just one step further and realize that this was not them being unfaithful, okay? We've got to be clear on that, that this was not them being unfaithful because why? Because Jesus had warned them that persecution would come and had told them that when it came, they were to what? They were to leave. This is not... You know, how, you know how God is able to take our sinful actions and make good come of them? And it's an amazing, beautiful thing sometimes that by his grace, even though we, we meant something for bad, God meant it for good, just like Joseph says to his brothers, right? That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But that's not what's happening here. God is not using the sinful fear of his people in running away to go ahead and expand the gospel, the, the reach of the gospel to other areas, okay? He's using the obedient response of his people, remembering what he said, remembering his warning to spread his gospel beyond Jerusalem and Judea to the uttermost ends of the earth. Do you follow? And so... Christians left Jerusalem because of Christ's warning to them. 
and because of his command to them during this and then a later years time of persecution there under the Romans, okay? Not everybody leaves, though. Not everybody leaves. God leaves a witness there in Jerusalem. Well, so you have this people, this, this group of people. The persecution that comes after Stephen is martyred. They make their way out of Jerusalem into Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And if the story of Acts is summarized, boiled down to just one sentence, it's the story of how God spread his church throughout the world. And so here you have a major portion of that early work, this group of people that spread out from Jerusalem to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, <clears throat> and that as they were going, they were, what? Proclaiming the gospel. So this is where those of you who are looking to the... Uh, looking to what I said before as an excuse why you never had to talk to anybody. This is where I take it back from you. There is no excuse, right? <laughs> whether you go, whether you stay, whether you're one of the ones who's supposed to be preaching, right? Regardless, everybody is proclaiming the good news of God's salvation through Jesus Christ in word and in, and in deed. So as they go, they're, they're proclaiming this good news. And what a beautiful picture it is of God fulfilling his promise through the difficulties that the church was facing. Persecution is not fun, right? It's not good. And yet, God promised that the good news was going to spread all over the world. And what do we see here? We see the good news spreading to these new cities and new areas, right? Why? Because of that persecution. And what happens? It says that many came to Christ. Again, how sweet is that? How beautiful is that? Seeing people coming to Christ, God fulfilling his promises. <clears throat> and when Barnabas saw the grace of God at work, what did he do? He rejoiced. He rejoiced. Now, I want you to just realize for a second that Barnabas rejoicing at the grace of God and the, and the people coming to faith, is in the context of these people losing their homes, running away, fleeing from persecution. Bad things have happened to them. And Barnabas is rejoicing. Why is he rejoicing? Not obviously because of those bad things that have happened to them, right? And yet... <clears throat> 
he is able to rejoice at the grace of God. Verse 23. He arrived, he witnessed the grace of God, and he rejoiced. And then it says, and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So he rejoiced, and you know that the temptation at that point is going to be for the people who had been through persecution to be bitter, right? If you're anything like me, you know that you would be inclined to be like, oh, well, it's all well and good for these new Christians who got to benefit from us being chased out of our homes, but if it's, all, if it's, if it's okay with you, Barnabas, could you, could you tone it down on the rejoicing part? Because you're making it feel like, you know, you're, you're making me feel like my suffering is not worth, you, you know, mourning over. Or you don't care that I suffered. You just care that these new people came to faith in Jesus Christ. You guys see that in yourself? I certainly see it in myself. We look at our life, and you, you, you look at what's happening with the people around you, and you're like, yeah, good things are happening to them, and good things are happening to them, and good things are happening to them, and, and they're getting... They're having children, and that's wonderful, and they're having this, that, and the other, and, and what about me? I'm losing my job, and I've got this, and i got this health problem, and my mom's dying, and this, that, and the other, and it's like, how come? How come I have to, how come Barnabas has to come and rub my nose in it by rejoicing with the people who have good things going on with them? But here's the thing. How did Barnabas rejoicing come about? It came about through those bad things that happened to them, didn't it? It came about because of those very persecutions. That is how God was fulfilling his promise. That is how his grace was being declared or, or seen, how the gospel was being declared, right? Right? And so don't be bitter at God for using you up in the building of his kingdom. And you say, well, how does, how does my having a bad back or, or pain or whatever it is, that's not even persecution. That's just God making my life miserable for me. How is that him building his kingdom? And I say, well... It's probably not going to be much for building his kingdom if you keep looking at it like that. But if you will suffer willingly under God's hand, then you will bring him much glory. And the watching world will see your response to, yes, persecution, and yes, the suffering and misery of this world, right? And the hope that you maintain and the joy that you still have in your pain and in your suffering, 
they will see that and they will give glory to God. And his kingdom will go forth because of that. Because of you, what? With resolute heart remaining true to the Lord. Isn't that what it takes? Doesn't it take resolute heart to remain true to the Lord as we suffer in this life? Barnabas saw this new church in this new area made up of immature believers, right? And what did he do? He rejoiced. Why? Well, because of what it was. Because it's a new church. Because it's filled with immature people. Doesn't that sound like us? A new church filled with immature people? (laughs) Now many, many things conspire to prevent us from remaining true to the Lord or from standing firm in the faith. And I've just been talking about some of those, right? The difficulties and the cares of this life. And if you think about this, the parable of the sower, Jesus speaks of the seeds falling onto different kinds of soils, right? And one of the kinds of soils is the soil that has what? Go ahead, somebody say it. Thorns. Thorns and and thistles. Just like the stuff that God said the ground would be filled with after the fall, right? After Adam sinned. And, And what happens with the thorns and the thistles? They grow up and what happens? They choke out the good seed, don't they? And that's and that's the story. So that's that part of the story. But until you step forward into Jesus' explanation, you don't realize that the thorns and the thistles stand for what? The worries and the cares of this world. And so here I am now, and and what happens? The worries and the cares of this world choke out the good seed and it dies right and so for me to say to you now that the worries and the cares of this life will conspire against you like thorns and thistles to choke out the good grass the good seed the wheat right is that scary The cares of the world, the worries of this world, they are the difficult circumstances, right? Your family problems, 
the job you hate, the loss of a job, maybe just not having any idea what you should be doing with your life. That's worrying, isn't it? Not to mention persecution. Whether that's minor persecution, like most of us face, or major persecution, like the Jews were facing, the Christians were facing in Jerusalem from the Jews, right? These are difficult, difficult circumstances. Don't let the worries and the cares of this world choke out good fruit in your life. Rather, with resolute heart, remain true to the Lord. Remain true to the Lord. What other kinds of things does Satan use to trip us, to entangle us? Well, sin, sin is what's described as the, the things that easily entangle us, trip us up while we're running our race, right? In that case, it's talking about our own sin. Our own sin that we don't want to give up or our own sin that we can't seem to kill. And this is a common problem among, among man, right? God has given us new heart. And yet, the inner man is not yet fully put to death, is he? And this is why Owen's mortification of sin, putting to death sin, is a year-in, year-out favorite for Christians to start and stop after the first few pages. <laughs> okay. Why? Well, because we love our sin. But that's not the only reason. It's also because it's hard work to read Owen. His, his construction and grammar and so forth are convoluted and old. And so, and plus then he doesn't make us feel good about ourselves. Right? And yet, with resolute heart, remain true to the Lord. With resolute heart. What about the sin of others against us? Do the sins of others tend to trip you up in your own faith? Have you been sinned against in a terrible way? 
How, how are you going to respond to that? When Christ teaches us to pray, he says one of the hardest things ever when he says, for if you do not forgive, then your heavenly father will not forgive, right? What a difficult thing when we have been sinned against. And yet, unless we've been sinned against, that statement doesn't make any sense, does it? Because if you hadn't been sinned against, you wouldn't have anything to forgive. Forgiving others their sins requires that they have sinned against you. Well, Jesus makes it abundantly clear. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. What are we supposed to make of that? Well, we're supposed to forgive others. It's that simple. And yet, the choice before us is not like, be a Christian that doesn't forgive others, or be a slightly better Christian that does forgive others. Right? The the choice before us is, Will we remain true to the Lord? Will we forgive other people their sins? Or will we not? And if you will not, what you will do instead is be angry at God. You will be angry at him for letting other people sin against you. You will blame him for their sin. You will accuse God and you'll say, it's your fault that I have this misery in my life. And that is to be anything but a Christian, isn't it? To be an enemy of God. By your own choice. To say, I hate you because of what you've done to me. And we get that way by degrees, don't we? We face that temptation minute by minute not generally at an all all at once sort of thing it's an attitude of unforgiveness that grows in us and an attitude of anger towards God that grows in us sin by sin slowly but surely But if you forgive others for their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's good news. That's happy. And the the other thing that comes along with it is, if you forgive others their transgressions, you won't be an enemy of God. Because you won't be angry at him and because he will have forgiven you. 
Our own sins and the sins of others are so, so tangled up in, in knots, aren't they? You, you see this. You kids understand exactly what I'm talking about. When, when dad looks at you and gives you the eye, what have you been doing, right? Or mom asks that one question you didn't want to answer right then. And what is it, you know, it's always an excuse that comes out, isn't it? <clears throat> and it's always an excuse that looks at somebody else. Well, see, Johnny was blah, 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 right? Or, well, see, when I was a kid, my mom didn't love me the way that she needed to. Or, well, see, now, it's like this. Long explanation, right? And the older you get, generally, the, the better constructed the explanation. But kids can make them just as long, right? The story's going on and on and on and on in answer to your question. What did you do to your brother? Okay, so remember last week when I was up in his room and, and then, okay, so fast forward a couple of days and I was reading an article a few, uh, a few weeks back and it was by somebody who is a, uh, a landlord. And his dad was a landlord before me. One of the things he said that he learned from his dad is never let them tell you a story. <laughs> Because the moment they start telling a story, it's going to end with, and so you see that's why I can't pay the rent or whatever. You know, there's like, and so that's how the toilet got, you know, or that's how, just don't let them tell you the story. You don't want to hear the stories. And that's the way it is with our kids, right? They start telling a story and it's like, no, 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 I didn't want to, I didn't ask you for a story. I didn't ask you for an explanation. I asked you what you did to your brother. And yet all of that story stuff inevitably brings in other people's sins into our life, doesn't it? The moment that you start telling a story, it's about somebody else's sin against you, right? Even Adam, when he said to God, God asks him, what have you done? And he says, the woman that you gave to me, remember that you were the one who put her here. You, you do remember that, right? Remember you put me in the same room as Johnny? Remember you're the one who decided that we were going to have bunk beds, Mom? Right? Remember how I don't like him? The woman, the woman that you gave to me to be with me, she what? Sinned. Isn't that what he says? And then I sinned. And so this is, our, this is the tied up, knotted nature of our sin and other people's sins. Because, let's be honest, when you sin against somebody else, aren't you pushing them to sin against you? Aren't you, aren't you responsible to a certain degree for their sin? And yet, 
they will answer for their sin, and you will answer for your sin, and God is able to untie all of those knots. And us as parents know how hard that is when you're trying to untie what's going on with the kids, and it's like, I don't know, everybody's getting spankings. (laughs) God will sort it out in the end. But God is able to untie, and he will hold you responsible for your sins, and her responsible for her sins, and, and him responsible for his sins, and yet what you are responsible for is to forgive. And then to live a holy life. To remain true to the Lord. With resolute heart. Barnabas isn't crazy. Barnabas is an encourager. It's what his name means. Right? And and it's what he was doing. It says he arrived, he rejoiced, and he began to encourage them all. And this is, is, what I've, is what I've been doing here today, encouraging to you? It should be. Remain true to the Lord. All of this, all of this is a gift. All that you've heard this morning is God's word, and it's a gift to you. It ought to be encouraging to you, because you, if you have faith in Jesus Christ... All of this is good news. And if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, it's good news. It's possible for you to be forgiven. If you forgive others their sins, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. Now, I did not just say, if you forgive other people, you're a Christian. Okay. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, I'll ha- I'm happy to talk with you after the service about that because we need to move on right now. But you need to take comfort in this. You, this needs to be encouraging to you. Because it makes clear in verse 24, if you thought that Barnabas was responding like a jerk in saying, Now, you make sure you remain true to the Lord with resolute heart, and that he was just being misguided in in the application of his gift of encouragement. Okay? It goes on in verse 24, and it says, For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. That's why he was telling them to remain true to the Lord. With resolute heart, remain true to the Lord. That's encouragement. Why? Well, because Barnabas is a good man, filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with faith. The word Christian was almost certainly a put-down when it first emerged. Christiani. Little Christ is what that means. It's an insult. It's meant to be an insult. And yet, to be called a little Christ, little Christ follower, a little model of Christ, what better thing could you ask for as a Christian, right? As a follower of God, don't you want to be just that? Don't you want to be called a Christian today? 
even people who are anti-organized religion and hate the church and everything else, a lot of them today have no qualms with calling themselves a Christian. And yet that term was meant to be an insult. But we, we take comfort in these afflictions. We take, we take joy in difficulties. Not because afflictions are good, not because difficulties are good, not because thorns and thistles are good, not because tangled up roots around your feet are good. Your sins that so easily entangle you, remember? Not good. And yet, what did Barnabas see when he arrived? The grace of God. In their afflictions, in their difficulties. God was bringing about growth, bringing people to faith, and not just the Jews only. What was the shocking thing that is going on here? I've skipped it so far, right? What was the shocking thing that happened that started? I mean, this starts the rest of the book of Acts. Some of them came to Antioch, verse 20, and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Wonder of wonders, the least expected thing the Gentiles were turning to Christ. It's not horror of horrors. There's Greeks in the church now. There's Gentiles in the church now. It's wonder of wonders. The grace of God. And is that a mess? Putting Jews and Greeks together? Oh yeah, that's a mess. That's a mess if you've ever seen a mess. Is it a mess to put blacks and whites into a church together? Yeah, yeah, that's a mess. And anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you and lying to themselves and can't ever have blacks and whites in a church together. It's only when you admit that putting blacks and whites together in one church is a mess that then you can start working on how to make it work. Because we're different cultures are different we grew up different and it's the same with the jews and the greeks and that's what jesus means in his word when he says there's no longer jew and greek slave nor free and so you put men and women together in a room and is that a mess yeah and until you can figure out how to begin working through that You don't have the foggiest clue what Jesus means when he says there's no longer 
male nor female. And here you have Jews and Gentiles, Greeks, together, worshiping God. And the church in Jerusalem hears about it, and they're like, well, Barnabas is an encourager. Let's send Barnabas down there. Yeah, there's, the, the afflictions are, are miserable, right? Yeah, the, the persecutions are terrible. Yeah, the insults are meant to hurt. But when, when God is at work, Romans 8, 28 we know that he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And that's how we're able to take comfort in those afflictions. So here's the beautiful thing. Barnabas arrives. He recognizes that they need encouragement. He begins to encourage them. He sees, he sees the temptations that are going to face them, right? He knows that it's going to be difficult having Jews and Greeks together. He knows that there's going to be sins against one another. He knows that there are going to be temptations to not be forgiving. He knows that there's going to be temptations to turn back to their own sins. He knows that there's going to be temptations to allow the cares and the worries of this world to strangle the fruit. He knows that they're going to be tempted to be ground down under the afflictions rather than to rejoice that they can bear the shame of Jesus Christ by being called Christians. Or a fool for Christ, or whatever you've been called, an idiot an emotionally weak individual who needs a, a crutch. Whatever it is, the, 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 the insulting word for Christian that they've used for you. Barnabas knows you need encouragement. And because he's a man of faith and a man of God, he comes and he encourages you and he says, remain true to the Lord. Which is to say, he recognizes the danger and the difficulty. And he calls you to recognize the danger and the difficulty and to pay attention to it. But not, therefore, to lose hope, having seen that danger. But rather, to keep a resolute heart. First Peter 5, 8 through 11 says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. I can't add anything to that. That's Peter saying, talking about what happened to the people at Antioch, right? To a different group of people. He's saying, yeah, this is, this is the common experience of Christians in the world. Stand firm in your faith. With resolute heart, remain true to the Lord. Be encouraged. Let's pray.